Yeah. Live from the Saints headquarters in Tolleson, Arizona, spreading the gospel, equipping the Saints, standing for the word of truth, proclaiming God's grace. Grace, grace, now, grace. on a podcast near you, welcome your host, Pastor Joshua, on the Saints Will Overcome Ministries. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. This is Pastor Joshua with the Saints Overcome Ministries. How you all doing today? Everything's going great. It's three something in the morning. I don't even know what time it is. I rolled out of bed. I was praising God, worshiping God, had my hands in the air, filled with the Holy Spirit, predestined before the foundations of the universe. I woke up and said, why not be with my people on this morning? Because the start of the day should be praising the Lord. Can I get an amen, ladies and gentlemen? And by the way, we have a new member of the show. It's Timmy the Android. Timmy, you want to say hi to everybody? Ladies and gentlemen, Timmy wants to be a real human being, and he's a droid. I told him he can pop in once in a while, and he can give his expertise on the commentary of the gospel. Even though he doesn't have a soul, ladies and gentlemen, he's kind of like Pinocchio. We're working on that. Well, beloved, we're here today. We're going to have an awesome show. It's going to kick butt. We're fighting the enemy on his own territory. We got the pedal to the metal. We got the throttle fully engaged, and we got him in our sights. Can I get an amen, ladies and gentlemen? Okay, here we go. Now we're going to get into some more uh, theology here. We're going to entertain ourselves with another clip with some more information about Noah's Ark. So ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? The story of Noah's Ark is one of the most beloved Old Testament tales. Noah built that ark for a long time, then there was a great flood and all the animals boarded two by two and so on. But what's the real story of the ark? Here's the untold truth of Noah's Ark. One of the most famous supposedly Noah's Ark sites is the admittedly very boat-looking Duripinar site in Turkey. According to Atlas Obscura, the site was exposed in the late 1940s after a series of earthquakes and storms. What's odd about this place is how long it has persisted as the remnants of Noah's Ark when it was excluded as a possible resting place for the famed ship during the first initial investigation in 1960. No evidence has been found that there is any ship there, nor has any actual petrified wood been been located there, with the exception of a few fragments that probably arrived in a mudslide. The boat-shaped formation is actually just rock and hardened mud. It appears boat-like, but contains no evidence of the timbers or iron fastenings that would have been used in a large boat's construction. Oh, and all that petrified animal poop on the site really doesn't prove anything either because of the whole animals have been roaming the world for millions of years problem. In 2010, a group of evangelical Christian explorers announced they'd located the remains of Noah's Ark near the summit of Mount Ararat in Turkey. According to National Geographic, the team says they found a structure comprised of seven large wooden compartments. When they radiocarbon dated the wood, they determined it was roughly 4,800 years old, which is precisely in the right range to correspond with the biblical Noah story. Not everyone thinks that really proves anything, though, even if it's true. NBC News says the structure is more likely to be an ancient shelter 
helicopter than a giant boat. And it's also a problem when someone goes into that kind of expedition without an innate sense of skepticism. Stony Brook University archaeologist Paul Zemanski put it like this, I don't know of any expedition that ever went looking for the ark and didn't find it. Tales of catastrophic floods are not just limited to what we've read in the Old Testament. As it turns out, there are a lot of very old stories about horrific floods. And some archaeologists and geologists believe the stories might be based on things that really happened, however embellished they may have become over the years. According to ABC, one such theory was put forward by two scientists at Columbia University who believe the Black Sea was once a freshwater lake that became inundated by rising seawater from the Mediterranean. In 1999, the theory attracted the attention of underwater explorer Robert Ballard, who you might remember from such historic discoveries as the wrecks of the Titanic and the Bismarck. Ballard's team found evidence of an ancient shoreline 400 feet below the surface and determined through radiocarbon dating that the area was likely flooded during the time of the biblical Noah. Ballard claimed to have also found structures in the area, but we really haven't heard much about the expedition since those first reports came out 20 years ago. These days, Ballard seems more focused on mapping the seafloor on the opposite side of the planet. In 1872, an Englishman named George Smith discovered a cuneiform tablet that told a familiar story about a guy in a boat and a humanity-killing flood. According to the New Yorker, all the specifics were there too, including the mountaintop the ship eventually landed on and the whole dove incident. There are some differences though. In the Mesopotamian version, it wasn't one god, but the ancient Mesopotamian gods and goddesses who flooded the entire world and everyone in it. Also, the gods didn't decide to wipe out all of humanity because it had had become all corrupt and unsalvageable, but mostly just because humans were vaguely annoying. So here's a tip. Don't do things that gods find annoying. Another thing the cuneiform tablets had in common with the Noah story is the building instructions. Although the ark itself isn't constructed in the same way in each story, there are enough details and measurements provided that someone should be able to use them to construct their own vessel, you know, just in case. A lot of the debate about Noah's Ark has to do with the amount of weight a ship that size could have actually supported. Obviously, it would have sucked if Noah had spent all that time building a ship and loading it up with animals, and then it had sunk anyway because there were too many dang animals on board. According to The Telegraph, in 2014, a group of master students at Lesta University decided to settle the question. They used the biblical measurements to calculate the size of the Ark, then they used the density of the water to figure buoyancy, and from there, determined how much weight the ship could endure before sinking their conclusion noah could have put seventy thousand animals on board and the ship would have floated and what do you know it floats that was my plan all along there are issues with their conclusion though for example the measurements figured on noah's boat being so heavy that the water level would stop just below the top of the ship which means it would have been pretty vulnerable to waves, especially the sort of waves that were happening as the storm raged on for 40 days and 40 nights. And the study did not calculate things like the physical size of each creature, only its weight. But it did prove one of the larger questions about the feasibility of such a voyage, so hooray. One problem that the Noah's Ark story seems to avoid is the whole issue of genetics. When Noah and his family got off the Ark, their only Tinder options would have been, well, Noah and his family. It's not just long-held social taboos and the overall ick factor that warns us against inbreeding. It's been scientifically proven to be a super bad thing. Even with eight people as a base, the gene pool would be too small to make world repopulation feasible. Okay, on the count of three, say what level of cousins we would have to be for this to be okay. One, two, 
Unacceptable no matter what. This is never going to work. According to the BBC, you can look at history for an example of why inbreeding is bad. Charles II of Spain was so disabled he didn't learn to walk until the age of eight. And that's because of all the inbreeding in his extended background. The number of identical inherited genes he got from both parents was higher than if his parents had been brother and sister with a normal tree before that. So that explains a lot about Joffrey Baratheon. I am the king! And it makes you wonder how the current human population could have waded out of such a dangerously shallow gene pool. The Bible gave very specific measurements for Noah's Ark, which not only provided early readers with a solid set of details in an otherwise implausible story, but also paved the way for giant replicas of Noah's Ark at theme parks and tourist attractions. In 2012, a life-sized replica of the Ark opened in the Netherlands and has been welcoming 3,000 paying customers a day ever since. According to Today, the replica took three years to build and cost more than a million dollars. And then Kentucky just couldn't resist getting on the bandwagon, and in 2016, a life-sized replica of Noah's Ark called Ark Encounter opened in Williamstown. Inside the Ark are exhibits that include, among other things, cages filled with dinosaurs. So if you're a science person, you might want to give that one a pass. So there's this whole little thing called science that sort of gets in the way of the Noah's Ark legend, and science is pretty sure that evidence for a catastrophic worldwide flood just doesn't exist in the geologic record. According to the skeptical inquirer, you can find evidence of I'll tell you what's going on, Timmy. Even though he doesn't have a soul, he still wishes he does, and he urges for the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, in chapter 10, we're going to skip over a little bit of that. It gives a genealogy. It's a lot of names. It's a lot about nations, how they arise out of uh, Noah's sons, and just the turmoil that comes out of it. So we're going to jump right to chapter 11. Are you ready, ladies and gentlemen? Here we go. And we're going to get into the Tower of Babel, and then we're going to close out with it. So here we go. Now the whole earth had one language, the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Sinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. So right then and there, these nations, these men, the whole earth are standing around and they said, let us build a tower that can reach to God. Uh, They wanted to recognize themselves as gods. They wanted to usurp God's authority. So they're trying to build this tower to the heavens to say, we are going to enter his kingdom by the human way. And that we know that's just not possible. Space, everything else, the elements. But let's continue on. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men had built. So the Lord knows what's going on. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And he's just saying, let me go down. Not that he didn't know what was going on, because he already knew, but he's explaining in his own way through the scriptures. Let me go down and see what these people are doing. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is the only beginning of what they'll do. And nothing that they propose to do will not be impossible for them. And the Lord didn't mean so on and so forth, like it would be impossible for them. They could be able to do anything because thousands of years later, we're sending rocket ships and everything else. We can't even travel, uh, 
the length of the Milky Way galaxy, even at the speed of light, which is just impossible. But what he was saying in their arrogance, in their pride, in their foolishness, there's no lengths they will not travail. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. And just like a baby, uh, to add insult to injury in a sense, ladies and gentlemen, just like when you hear a baby babble, yeah, it's the cutest thing in the world when you're nine months, but when you're a grown man or grown woman and you start babbling, uh, even though it's a separation of languages, it's not the cutest thing. So the Lord says, basically, I'm going to name them. And I'm going to name this, basically, after what they're doing, because they're just babbling. They think that they're going to be all-powerful, and they're going to reach the heavens and be like me, and it's just never going to happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to call it what it is, and I'm going to call out the tower what it is, because all it is is nothing but a tower of pure babble. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to jump to 12. Because uh, if I just go through the descendants over and over and over, I know it's going to bog us down. It's going to weigh us down. Scripture's inerrant, infallible, but we got to keep the show moving. And we jump from there to some descendants happening after that. And we have a call from Father Abraham, the patriarch. And we're going to read this. We're going to hit this a little bit, and we're going to wrap up the show. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and all of your families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed Haran. And if you think about it, ladies and gentlemen, he came from Ur, from Babylon. He was a pagan worshiper. He had false gods. He worshiped false gods. His dad, Terra, did. And God pulled him out, spoke to him, and called him because he wanted him to be the father of nations. And Abraham took Sariah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, for they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak tree of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now what is going on with these altars? Ladies and gentlemen, they build these altars because generationally and in the future and even in his time, when somebody walked past these altars, somebody would ask the question, what happened here? And then one could go back and tell them, let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about the Lord. Let me tell you about what happened here. Let me tell you what happened about Abram and the specialness that God did, the works, the act that happened here. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going 
toward Negeb. So ladies and gentlemen, what's happening is God is calling him. God is calling him for a process. God is calling him to make a nation. Taking that incident at Babel where they were just doing nothing but babbling and they were trying to build themselves up to be God and they wanted to become the great nation and replace God. God called Abram out and said, that is not something that is assigned to mankind to do. But I will bring you out, Abram, and I will show you the things that I'm going to do, and you shall be the nation. And Abraham and Sariah in Egypt. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So you are my sister, that it may go well with me because you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, we got to stop right there. A lot of people pass over this scripture. And what Adam did, I mean, what Abram did was very wrong. It was actually sinful what he did. He went in there uh, into Egypt and he was married and he was going to allow his wife to be taken uh, by saying it was his sister because Pharaoh could have took her and put him in his harem or made him made her his wife or whatever. So Abraham did the wrong thing. And I love the scriptures because it doesn't remove things like this. And it doesn't try to make people seem perfect, the patriarchs. It shows them with their sin, their full sin, what they've done wrong. And to be honest, they're the, the desires that were terrible. And the Bible shows us even here that redemption is coming. And God is compassionate and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and God are the same. And the triune God steps in and says, no. Now let's read on. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Let's look at this. So he took her. He was going to marry her. He was going to sleep with her. He was going to have sex with her. Use her how he wanted to use her, the princes were. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sariah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, think about this. What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. So he's saying, why would you lie to me? Why would you do that to me? You deceived me, which Abram did deceive him. And that was his wife. And he was giving his wife away, which was very wrong. And Pharaoh gave in orders concerning him that they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So God stepped in. He intervened. God had a plan for the nations. God had a specific uh, predestined, planned, and he said, no, it's not going to happen. And he afflicted his whole household, was it? And that was graceful. That was compassionate. And that was just a beautiful thing. And we're going to jump into Abram and Lot separating. And then from there, we're going to come to a close, ladies and gentlemen. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev.
Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver and gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let... There be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is it not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right hand. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of my favorite stories that we're entering into, not necessarily because the punishment and the decree that was given to rain, fire, and brimstone. But there's just so much theology there, and it's theologically rich. And we can really start breaking the bread open, consuming it, and discussing certain things and many topics. So that's why we're going to close at this time, ladies and gentlemen, because we're going to probably go into three, four, five hours if we get into this. So... I just want to say God bless you all. I love you. Hey, why not close in a prayer? Shall we do that, Timothy? Tell me, shall we do that? Father God, we just want to say thank you for everything you give us. Thank you for loving us. We don't believe the enemy's lies. We don't believe his mistruths, misnomers about the gospel, about the story of Noah. Lord, we honor you. Bless our hands, bless our feet. Allow us to preach in kindness and love, but be bold for your name's sake. Because the enemy never stops, he never ceases, he never sleeps. You know all, Lord. We ask you to give us a special measure of faith, Lord, to complete your mission in us. I want to pray for everybody. I want to say God bless everybody in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you're not saved, just confess the Lord is the Lord. Jesus Christ, he died for your sins on the cross, and you accept that gift. And welcome to the family. God bless you all. This is the Saints Overcome with Pastor Joshua Capilla. And have a great day, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I'm just sitting here writing this letter to you, wondering if you're going to get it. Just some thoughts I scribbled down on paper about the world, where it's going, where it's headed. Feeling lost, feeling like I don't belong here anymore because the world has forsaken God. Yeah.
imagine life without you doing the same old thing times change the world is restless they took god out of everything we on the great decline the world is blind all i know is your mind when it's dark you make it shine you ever feel left behind like an old soul the bible is the only way to go i know it's coming to an end and maybe they'll listen then the pain is supposed to mix with the fire like sodom and gomorrah you think they'll listen then isn't it already happening again god please forgive the world for the sins Your wealth is your modesty. Go ahead, give glory up to the king. Can't even hear the song that he sings. Man, times have changed. The world's soul is so for fame. I'd rather give glory to the king. Fathers, aren't you supposed to bandage up the pain? She's asking for you again. Heaven has a white stone with your name. Maybe the pain is supposed to mix with the fire like Sodom and Gomorrah. You think they'll listen then? Isn't it already happening again? God, please forgive Give the world for their sins. I'm on my knees. I'm praying. I repent. Pick up my cross, no matter the cost. Yeah, the world is so lost. Come on. Yeah. 